and, and as a company that that is just a microcosm of the bigger concept this this we stand for something good we take care of each other um mentality that that really is evident in as many places as as we can show it hello and welcome to food crush the on milwaukee podcast for people who eat and who have barky dogs i am your co-host matt miller culture editor at onmilwaukee.com and i am joined as always by Lori frederick dining editor at onmilwaukee.com how are you doing today Lori? Doing, doing pretty okay how about yourself i'm doing good i'm hanging out with with three puppos and they're yeah. very cute puppos so that's a good life i can't complain that, about that, that is not that is not a bad thing ever no fuzzy fuzzy little dudes i am i have two cats <laughs> here too but they are all sleeping it's important to note we also have a cat here too but the cat is the most forgotten member of this household oh. well the cat probably sleeps most of the day yeah, so, uh, yeah literally doing so right now just curled up on yep. top of a couch doing great yeah yeah uh but we have somebody who's not sleeping and also is not a cat <laughs> and also uh yes. it's a better cook than my cat <laughs> it's much more to do with food yes than the cat classic classic transition classic so. normal transition yeah no we're here today with ari dominitz uh um he is a senior manager just senior general manager i should say for the wisconsin shake shacks and that means the one in the third ward of milwaukee and the one in madison so the most ari. anticipated restaurant in milwaukee history Oh my. We that wrote those. I don't know if you know this, Ari, but when those articles ran, when Lori was breaking the news on Shake Shack and telling people that Shake Shack was coming, the internet broke. Like people our were website, we were. It was massive no. clicks. No. Yeah, and, uh, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't even hired yet, and I and I was seeing all the buzz, and mm-hmm. um, I have the distinction of being the first person hired in Wisconsin for Shake Shack, and. Uh, being their representative has been pretty amazing. Watching uh, Wisconsin uh, get used to having a Shake Shack. Oh wow! Such yeah. responsibility. What, what was yeah. that like to be like the 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 cornerstone person at the, the start um, of it? I, that is that is a lot of high praise right there. But it, it was it was really fun to see the way that they enter a market, the way that we enter a market. Uh, it's very intentional. It's not just find a building and throw equipment in and, and make it happen. We we want it to be in the third ward specifically because it really reflects um, so much of the way that the brand um, began in New York City. You know, it is an epicenter brand. It is a brand that wants to be of the place that it's from, not something that happens to the place that it, that it's going. So um, wanting to be in the third ward is, is very intentional for, for Shake Shack. Yeah. It, it was fun. You know, we hired a great team early on. Um, there are a lot of uh, people that didn't know what Shake Shack was at all. So introducing them to the culture, to the enlightened hospitality theory and, and having, the approach that the team members are really the the key to success is is a really unique thing i think for the brand yeah definitely now now you are from are you from milwaukee originally i am born and okay. raised okay, yeah so you were born and raised there i wasn't sure about that piece but you had a you know you had a long history with you know in restaurants like prior 
to Shake Shack. You obviously, I mean, obviously you brought them that resume. Um, but where for, for you kind of, let's go, I don't know, let's go back as far as you want to. Um, where does your story, you know, with food, so where did it start? Like, when uh, did you know? <laughs> I mean, if, if the womb is not, uh, is not too early to, to <laughs> use as an inception point, um, you know, I grew up in a, uh, in a Russian Slavic Jewish home. So food is a big part of how we show love and celebrate. And, um, so, uh, my parents were always, uh, hosting and we're always, we were going to family dinners and everybody cooked. And my mother is a phenomenal cook. Both my grandmothers were phenomenal cooks. Um, my dad was a pizza chef at the pizza wagon in Madison when he was going to school mm. there. So, um, it, it, food is, uh, is definitely a huge part of my life, um, on, on various levels. But, um, I started cooking with mom at home, um, simple things, you know, soups and and things that she could teach me to make and then i really very early on took to cooking experimentally so what happens when you add these things into a pot and how do you figure out cook times and when does something get overdone and and i learned a lot and my parents were very encouraging because it was a creative outlet and it was something that i i excelled at pretty young so i've, I've been cooking for a long time yeah, but yeah. Uh, restaurant well, work was was a little bit later. Yeah did you did you have aspirations to do something else before you oh. entered the restaurant industry? Yeah, so I was um, an acting major at Milwaukee High School for the Arts, and okay. then ended up at Emerson College in Boston, where I got a degree in acting. And after I went, uh, after I finished up at Emerson, I went on a national tour right out of college um, with the National Players 52nd Tour. It's the oldest, Shakespeare, it's the oldest still running uh, Shakespeare company tour yeah. in the country. So yeah. I spent a year on the road and got super burnt out and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, worked really hard for 148 bucks a week and 148 dollars in per diem, and came home and said, "I need a break." And didn't realize that that break was uh, going to be 23 years and counting. But I am. I went to go back to uh, one of the places where I worked in the summers when I would come home. I would come home from college and I would work in bars and restaurants. Um, cooking or doing security or, or various jobs and always wanted to be involved. It was always a great way to make money. And uh, so I worked for uh, the Hi-Hat and I worked at the Nomad. Joe Katz of uh, Highbury fame is my cousin. So Joe hired me to oh. work the back door at the Nomad a long, long, long time ago. Uh, legally, I can't tell I you how long Highbury. ago. Oh, the Highbury is amazing. Yeah. What, what Joe Does that mean you're a soccer year, fan? Does that mean you're uh, a I, Premier I, fan? Not like Joe. That's his world. I was. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a baseball house. Uh, and football I assume house. Brewers. You're a Brewers fan. Oh, I'm yeah. hope. Okay, sure. good. So hey, how about those Brewers? By the way, the Brewers <laughs> just clinched the NL Central over the Big weekend. Big deal. Big yeah. deal. How about that? It's been very fun. I'm going to 
just totally just sidewind this conversation into sports talk oh, now. It's so great that the Cardinals are on this giant winning streak, and it doesn't mean it shit. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Uh, it makes well, and me holy satisfied. cow, like Wisconsin has just killed it with sports. Milwaukee, Milwaukee in particular, I guess I will say. Yeah, yeah Wisconsin um, football has not been participating just, in the uh, <laughs> exciting year of Wisconsin yes. sports, apparently. But yeah. it doesn't change yeah. how fervent the fan base is, which is one of the great things about the Badgers. This People, is true. This they're is big true. fans no matter what. That's well, when true. I went to Marquette and uh, I went to MU, and technically MU and Wisconsin are big rivals, but since Marquette doesn't have a football team, I never really understood hating the Wisconsin football team because I was like, yeah. I have no skin in this game. So I'm a right. I'm a Badger football fan, which has not been fun and has been a hard a hard road this year. <laughs> I live yeah, in a absolutely. I live in a house oddly divided. My wife is a Marquette grad as well. And, oh, so uh, you know. <laughs> and my whole family, other than me, went to Wisconsin. My brother, my dad, my uncles so uh, i was again brought up a badger fan um but the acting program at wisconsin doesn't quite compare to the acting program at emerson so i ended up in boston instead of madison but it was uh it was a great place to go to school i loved being in boston but yes i definitely a badger fan definitely a brewer fan and, and a pretty insane bucks and packers fan as well i i am a a sport fan in general. Return guest, Lori. Yeah. He's coming back. See, <laughs> there we go. There we Anytime. go. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, it, it's funny because I'm going to go back to the acting just because that has to do. Sure. I, I do think, you know, I mean, I mean, I guess it's a sort of a trope um, to say that, you know, people in theater and the arts, you know, end up in the restaurant industry. But I feel like they synchronize, you know, I mean, not that hospitality is an act. But you do know how to put on, you know, the right face for the job. For sure. Um, yeah, did that, I think, I think did that so. help you? Is that a false? Oh, absolutely. The, uh, ironically, the only job I never did in the restaurant bar industry was serving. I was never meant to do that. I don't carry a tray well. I don't handle that kind of thing well. <laughs> um, but I am. I'm positive that my acting training has assisted me as a manager for sure. And um, bartending, you know, the the banter side of the bartending job. I was a, I was a really good bartender, not because I was really fast or because I was a, uh, a mixologist. I had a little bit of flair in my back pocket, but it was really about being able to comfortably interact with people and make people laugh and have fun with people. And, and that, I really think, definitely came from my training as an actor and... And again, my family is full of very gregarious, outgoing people who like to talk. Well, in the culinary and artistic stage kind of scenes, they're, they're, both of those industries rely so much on people working together to create something and to get Absolutely. something done. I mean, uh, if you're on a, if you're a stage performer or an actor, you need, you know, the sets to be good, the lighting to be good. It is such a a whole rounded situation similar to a restaurant where you need, you know, the line cooks to be doing their job well and you need the 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 sous chefs and you need all these people doing their parts well to put on the show that audiences that the diners are expecting. Absolutely. And, you know, my year on tour certainly 
was great training for that aspect of of the restaurant industry. I was in two both shows. Um, one role was a, a larger role, and the other was sort of a supporting role. And then I was also the master electrician, and I was the warm up captain, and I was uh, on the sound crew. <laughs> so it was we all helped each other. It was it was thirteen people that spent a year on the road doing literally every aspect of the job. So. It and was and great so wearing training. wearing many hats, all that you know, as you do in a restaurant, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so where did where did that kind of take you? Did you mostly work for other people? Because ultimately, you owned your own restaurant. Yeah, I, I so I, I came back to Milwaukee after the tour. I worked at the Hi Hat um, for about a year, year and a half, um, and then. I went into the nightclub side of things when Bar Milwaukee opened. They had this crazy hiring ad that um, was run in all of the independent newspapers, and it made me laugh, and it, And I thought I'd give it a try, and I wasn't getting bartending shifts at the Hi-Hat because I was really not cool enough to be behind the bar at the Hi-Hat. So I, was the, <laughs> I ran the security, and I booked some bands, and I was there when they built the garage, um, but I wasn't getting behind the bar and I really, really wanted to bartend. So I went to Bar Milwaukee and uh, applied there, became their sales manager uh, early on, worked there through the, about the first year they were open. And then with that company, I, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, spent a little time uh, going back and forth to Dayton, Ohio and Nashville. And then uh, Richmond, Virginia was my last stint with them, but it was five years that I was with that company. Um moved back to Milwaukee to get married to my amazing wife. And, um, and I went to work for Johnny V for 18 months, which is a long stint with Johnny V. And, uh, I yeah. ran, the, I was part of the team that ran the Moe's Irish pub downtown mm. and then went, uh, and opened the bar Louie on water street and worked for that company for five years. Um, and then, and then karma happened. We, uh, my dad and I, um, made the decision to invest in a restaurant, and um, it was a, an amazing opportunity. Uh, the owner was not a restaurant guy and thought it would be cool to have a restaurant, and about three or four years in, decided it would be much cooler to sell a restaurant. And so we took <laughs> it over, and uh, and we had five and a half really great years at Karma. Uh, learned a ton, um, and had a lot of fun in this city with being a restaurant owner. And then the the streetcar happened out right out in front of our building, and sales dipped about twenty five thirty percent. And we because that, uh, that construction just totally ate up oh, our yeah, street. Yeah, for a could period. not could yeah. not move. Yeah, you couldn't get anywhere, and and you know we were still paying full rent, and we were still trying to keep people employed, and we were still buying, you know, eight hundred dollar UFC fights, and and all the various things that we had been doing that had been really successful. And ultimately, we opted to sell, and it was a pretty rough transition. Um, My team, uh, my whole staff felt really hurt and betrayed, but we were on the cusp of having to sign another seven-year lease, and we just weren't in a position to view that as a viable option. Mm -hmm. And it was a tough, that was a really tough decision. Um, At at about the six-year mark, because of the the downturn in business, I had taken another job uh, so that I could get my salary off of the books at Karma to try and sustain it. And um, 
I went to go work for Hospitality Democracy and opened up their Tosa restaurants. So uh, Bombers, Smoke Shack, and um, Holy Ah. Moly. And and Mm -hmm. as we were doing that, I was still owned Karma and I had empowered the team to kind of run run the operations, but ultimately the sales just weren't there anymore. And when we sold, um, little did we know, 18 months later, the whole world was going to shut down. So it it, it turned out to be uh, a blessing in disguise. It certainly wasn't without its its pain points, but but I, I, I did hospitality for just under a year and then Shake Shack happened and it, it was, it's, it's where I've been for four years plus already, which is crazy. Yeah. What attracted you now <clears throat> listening, I guess, to your trajectory, you worked for mm-hmm. all sorts of businesses, you know, I did little locally owned independent ones to kind of larger locally, owned, you know, ones to, you know, sure. more corporate kind of national type things. What specifically attracted you? you to the opportunity with Shake Shack. Um, um, that was, even by then, when I, like, that was a big monster of a, of a company. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's, it's easy to view Shake Shack as a, as a corporation because we're a publicly traded company and, and we are, you know, 300 plus units and, and we're international, but without getting, uh, too much Kool-Aid talk. Um, the truth is that, that their mantra is the bigger we get, the smaller it should feel. And there is an unbelievable amount of personal attention paid to the people that work for Shake Shack on levels that you would never anticipate. The My area director comes to town from Chicago and he knows the names of the people that are on the fryers and the people that are, wow. um, are, are grilling and he has reference points because we talk about it. Um, but what attracted me to Shake Shack initially was um, the thing that I think was consistently lacking from my prior opportunities, which w- w- my prior jobs, which was the opportunity for growth. Um, we, I, I had joined up with Hospitality Democracy under the pretense that there was going to be a number of these multi-unit operations opened and that I would be involved in that growth and hopefully eventually move into sort of a director of operations role with those places. Um, and unfortunately, it just didn't develop and that writing was on the wall pretty early on. Um, and I don't believe there's a lot of fault to be assigned there. I think it was just circumstantial. I, I just don't think that that Mayfair collection area has developed the way that anybody wanted it to. Um, it looked mm-hmm. like a great bet. You know, the Marcus Investments Company got involved and the Bartolatas were involved and, um, yeah you know, Whole Foods is out there and Meyer's out there and everybody thought we were going to create something really special. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, it just didn't materialize. And I had taken a bit of a lower salary in the anticipation of growth. And I have a wife and two beautiful children that I am responsible for. And I had received a copy of setting the table nearly a decade earlier from one of my mentors in the business and read it and it resonated with me so much, you know, the Danny Meyer book. Um, and when I saw that Shake Shack was coming to town and they were looking for a GM, uh, I, I, I put in an application and then got a call from the recruiter uh, the, the home office recruiter, and she said, I'll, I'll never forget, her name was Natalie Deem, and she said, let me get this straight. You own your own restaurant currently. You are currently operating a multi-unit, multi-concept building. 
and you know that you would have to give all of that up to be a GM for us. And I said, yeah, you got it. And she said, <laughs> why? <laughs> right. And I said, well, let's start with Danny Meyer and go from there. I said, the, the reality is, is that I am so aligned with his theory on how to treat people. The, the, the idea that hospitality is at the forefront of everything good that happens in a restaurant, um, that the opportunity to work for him is is really important. She said, "That's great." We went public in 2015, and Danny is the is no longer running the day to day operations of the company. You need to know that. And I said, "I do. I get it. I've done my research. I've done my, I've done a lot of preparation ahead of the interview." And the other thing is that Shake Shack is growing at an alarming rate. It is growing so fast, and there's so much opportunity. I have to imagine that you don't come to a city like Milwaukee to open one restaurant. And she said, you need to know there's no plans to open a second restaurant anytime in the next 18 months. And I said, that's cool. I can wait for growth for 18 months. And um, they set up an interview for me to go down to Chicago and meet who, Matt Meyer, who's currently my area director. And it's the best interview I've ever had. And I walked away. Um, Ironically, uh, well, not ironically, it was intentional. Uh, they gave me this hat that I'm wearing and uh, I gave it back to him at the end of the interview because I had done a, a stodge shift and, and been in the kitchen. And, and he said, why don't you hold on to that? I'm hoping you're going to need it. And I had brought my whole family down to Chicago. We made a weekend of it. And, and I got on the train to come back to Milwaukee with my family. And I looked at my wife and I said, I think this is going to happen. And, and, um, it took a little while and there was another job in the mix at the time. And, um, I ended up making the right decision for sure. And as, uh, as cheesy as it may sound, I'm fully prepared for this to be the last job I ever have. Um, I'll stay with this company as long as they'll have me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it almost seems unnecessary to ask this. Um, but, but I think people will be curious. Um, how has that, you know, because it's been four years. It has. Crazy. crazy. <laughs> I mean, right. one of them sort of lost to a pandemic, but four years since, you know, that Shake Shack opened. How how did that experience, like, play out? I mean, obviously, you went in with some expectation that it was going to be great. Sure. Um, yeah. Did it, did it entirely live up to what you thought it would be? Uh, wouldn't or, it just be you know. so... so Ridiculous to just flat answer that yes. It, it, truthfully, it <laughs> I but, so no. so this is the reality. The the reality is um nobody could have predicted what the middle of my career at Shake Shack was like. You know, I, I went in and we opened I, I trained in Chicago uh for eight weeks and they put me up in an amazing um, you know, corporate housing type place and uh, and I could walk to work every day in downtown Chicago and, you know, they, they do it right across the board. There's per diem so that you're not eating as good as Shake Shack is. Nobody's supposed to eat Shake Shack every day and they, they want you. I've gotten close. <laughs> Trust me, it, It's fantastic, but, uh, variety is the spice of life. So, um, I, I, the training was intense. You know, it was 50 hours a week, which is not abnormal in the restaurant industry at all. But again, my children are, are the life energy that, that feeds me. And I know that's, that's, uh, that seems like 
rhetoric, but it's, they are. And, and being away from my kids, I used to, you know, I, I did training for Bar Louie in Chicago when my wife was pregnant with my son and that was tough. But uh, being away from my kids five days a week for eight weeks was was trying, especially because hospitality democracy had been so intense. I was working 65 to 70 hour weeks at hospitality and they were, I think the hardest part for me was they were starting to get used to me not being around and that's not the kind of father I wanted to be. Um, it's not the kind of father I ever want to be. Um, so... Um, the training was great. Uh, I got to do an opening before mine in Troy, Michigan and see the stumbling blocks and see how we open and, and see the process. And there were some really intense times during training. Um, that Chicago store that I'm at does incredible. I was at tr for training does incredible numbers. Uh, they're right across the street from Italy on uh, Ohio and rush. And I saw yeah. days that would just blow your mind, um, from a volume perspective, you know, uh, and I was excited to see how we would open in Milwaukee because Milwaukee is burgers and custard is not unique in Milwaukee. It's not, it's not as different as it is in other markets. There are markets where, mm -hmm. of course, we go to San Diego or we go to Colorado or we go, you know, even when we open in New York, it's a really unique idea doing burgers and custard. But as we all know, you can throw a stone in Milwaukee and hit a burger and custard place that's pretty darn good. And uh, I grew up here. I, I grew up on, yeah. co you know, cops and Leons and Kits and right. Gillies. Right. And, well, and, um, yes, and Milwaukee can, yeah. Go ahead. Milwaukee can be very defensive about its local oh, yeah. stuff and be very much like, oh, yeah. these outsiders are coming in. We don't need, like, we don't need you. We have our cops. We have our Leons. We have all that stuff. We can be very territorial. In terms of like, oh, show us why we need you, right? Right. For sure. Well, and the nostalgia that's that's all pent up and attached to places like Leon and Leon's and Cops, mm -hmm. you know, makes presents a loyalty that you know you can't you you can't compete with a lot of a lot sure. of that. You know, my mother, my mother will still drive across town to go get Leon's vanilla because she is so convinced that it's the best vanilla custard in town. Um, I, I don't know that she's ever had vanilla custard from Shake Shack, and I'm not going to be the guy that says in any public forum that I think our custard is better uh, than what my mother thinks is the best uh, frozen custard in town. But um, this is what I can tell you. Across the board, there is not an ingredient used in anything at Shake Shack that's not as good as it can possibly be. Um, and I, and I'm, not, well, I'm, I'm not thumping. It's, it's just the reality is... Our custard melts the way it's supposed to melt. Our custard is is not not made, and we make it every day. You know, I, I run custard four or five days a week, and and it's it's a really good product. So, um, I would say that when you, when you ask about expectation, there, of course, I I had hoped to be in a multi unit role a lot earlier. Um, I think it's pretty easy to track the slightly delayed growth and expansion. Um, with the pandemic, of course, um, we had a spot in Brookfield that we were looking at prior and, and for whatever reason, it, it, uh, it didn't materialize. Um, and then Madison, they determined that Madison was going to open before that, that, uh, that location. And, um, when I asked if that was going to be my store, the answer was a senior GM should really be in their store, their second store their newer store four days a week and you have a family and you have a life. And as much as you want to grow with our company, 
driving to Madison four days a week or being there four days a week is not the quality of life you've told us you're looking for. And while that was a tough pill to swallow initially, I'm doing it now and I'm enjoying it and it, it became a, a necessity. Um, and I am, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And, and as soon as the opportunity came about, I, I developed a plan for how I could make it work. And their first question was, does this work for you? Does this work for your life and your work-life balance and for your family? And when I said I was willing to do it, they were, they couldn't have been happier to make it happen. That's wild. You don't normally hear about businesses, especially, you know, big multi-state ones, national ones, going out of their way to make sure that their employees are are putting their their families ahead of the work. And normally it is the opposite way. Normally it is for totally sure. flipped. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that was my experience with hospitality democracy. I, I loved working with Joe and Angie Swords. They were really good people. And and working with the Marcus Investment Group was was exciting. You know, they're local and and they've got great ideas. Um but the expectation was was very high for time in the restaurant. Um and and the support was um was set up in a way that as a general manager, especially a multi-concept general manager, the the expectation was that I was going to be there all the time. I I, I need that balance. I and I, am, and I, I think that's I think that's the traditional model for restaurants, Certainly. right? I mean, this yeah. is this is what restaurants have been using, you know, for ages. This is why people buy. <laughs> this is why people burn out. This is why people probably open their own, you know, because there is definitely pressure and you're kind of like, okay, if I'm going to be working eight hours a week, I should do it for myself, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's, that's among the things, you know, and I've had conversations with you, but I think that's among the things that people don't know or understand, you know, about Shake Shack um, is that it's really, you know, you, you talk to people who work at Shake Shack or you go and you just are sort of like, oh, this can't be true, you know. And you know, we talk about drinking the Kool Aid, and and sure. you talk to people, and it's like, oh, y'all brainwashed, right? Um, <laughs> but but the, but the messaging is so consistently there, like across all the different yeah. levels at the company, that it's it's just you know, it seems a little nuts. I mean, and as somebody who talks to people in the industry all the time, I just. You know, sometimes it blows me away that, For sure. you know, because that is a challenge in a small place, let alone, you know, creating a culture that's so strong and pervasive that you can do it, you know, well, across and, the and world. The, and I would say that that's truthfully the strength of the brand is as good as the, the food is and as good as the ingredients are and as focused as we are on making sure that there's nothing that is, um, I mean, other than the fact that we're using butter and beef and potato rolls that are, you know, of highest quality, but still butter and beef and potato rolls, um, we're, we're, we're making cheeseburgers and french fries every day. We're not solving the world's problems and we're not building a... a, a I think a cheeseburger <laughs> solves the world's problems. I it don't solved know about many that. problems for me, no question, and, and certainly helped me cope with them at times. But there's... It's really the culture that separates the, the brand. It's it's the fact that we have things like our hug fund, which is is employee built um, support system. So I donate five dollars and all the change off my paychecks every week to 
um, this hug fund. And, and it's not a ton of money, but it's a couple hundred dollars a year. And I should probably up it when I get raises. And now, now that I've said it on a public forum, I probably will. <laughs> um, but it was fed by an, by, by an initial, um, donation by Danny. And, um, it was created by a group of people that believed that we needed to have an internal system to help people who had extreme need. And it's fed by the employees and it's there to be drawn upon for people who are in extreme situations, um, fires and, 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 um, loss and, and sickness. And it's just a small example though, of what the overall culture is, which is, that we take care of each other. Um, you know, Shake Shack has And that's this, entirely internal, you know, it, employee, it employee generated. Um, yeah, not, it is. It's know. fed from anybody and it's optional. So it's mm-hmm. not by, by no means is it, uh, is it a, a requirement, but it's certainly encouraged, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and as a company that, that is just a microcosm of the bigger concept this, this, we stand for something good. We take care of each other. Um, mentality that that really is evident in as many places as as we can show it so i i am i i'm often waiting for the other shoe to drop but i'm so i'm i'm very bought in for sure there's no question about it but it really trickles down um all the way to the individual team member level because the the company it's a driving force in in how all decisions are made you know, I, I, during the during the pandemic, um, we tried to keep as many people employed as possible. We had to, we did have to furlough a manager during the pandemic, and um, at every turn, uh, I was being encouraged to contact that that person. He happens to be a dear friend of mine, but I would talk to him and I, I would ask him, you know, how he was doing, and 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 he said if I didn't have every confidence that the minute you can bring me back, I'd be back. I'd be freaking out right now, but I know as soon as you can. And we did. And he's a tremendously important part of our team. And at no point did he feel like he wasn't going to have a job. Sure. Sure. So you, so you felt that like furloughs like that, you know, companies, and, and this is the case, I think in a lot of, in a lot of places where, you know, the idea was, okay, we're going to preserve the company by cutting some costs for now. Sure. Um, although not every company brought back <laughs> the same the same folks. So yeah. that was sort of like, okay, we have to do this, but keep in touch with these people so that they don't go somewhere else in the meantime. Well, but the whole leadership group, you know, every, every level up from senior general manager uh, was instructed to really stay safe and stay out of the stores. You know, it was essential staff only in the stores. Uh, but I got a phone call at least once a week from my area director just to talk. It wasn't, how are the numbers? Are you keeping your orders in line? Are, is your, it was, how are you doing? How's your wife? How's her business? How's, how are your kids doing with homeschooling? And, and then I would ask the same questions and get honest responses. And I, and we were encouraged to contact our peers and contact people in other cities and just check in. We had, we had had a, uh, a company retreat in March or, or May of 18. And so it was my first opportunity to really get to know a lot of the, the people on the GM or manager level uh, on a national basis. And 
I, I remember I, we walked into this beautiful resort where the retreat was and, and this area director came up to me and said, you're Ari Dominance. I said, yes, that's what's on my name tag. And he said, um, my name is Will. And uh, Matt tells me that, that you're my spirit animal. <laughs> and I said, and, and I said, well, what do you mean by that? And we talked about it and it was essentially that he was also a very outgoing, very empathetic, very caring leader who wrote big, long emails like I do. And, and the idea that my area director had taken the time to have conversations about me with an area director from New Jersey and New York, just because he, he had a relationship with him and he found some commonality in our leadership style was something I'd never experienced before. It's such a weird idea that, that, that that was important enough to him um, to establish that bond. And then for Will to be willing to just immediately connect with me the minute he recognized that, that I was the person he'd heard about. It was, it was, you know, I'm a GM. I'm, I'm one of, you know, hundreds of GMs that work for this company, but this company allows me to have a personality that is unique to, to me in, in the greater construct. Yeah. Yeah. Does Shake Shack typically hire local folks to manage? Oh, they're, yeah. They're, okay. As um, often as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But um, there is, because you know, I, there's Because I do think there's buy-in. You know, I mean, I go into Shake Shack and obviously, you know, the employees end up to be local in, you know, oh, in any national space. Um, but sometimes they've moved there, <laughs> you know, from other places. Sure. Well, um, is, and it, that's all we, we talked about before. Wisconsin, Milwaukee, especially being a, a place that um, that doesn't always um, really buy into national brands. You know, I I remember growing up close to Bayshore, and when Geno's East opened at Bayshore, I had been to Chicago a couple times with my family, and I was super excited. You know, deep dish pizza place and Geno's East and the big whole pizza sausage patty, and it closed, and I, I couldn't believe that this major Chicago pizza brand couldn't cut it in Milwaukee. And, and, and that's just, again, just a, one example of, of brands that just haven't yeah. made it. And, and it's been a ramp up in Milwaukee for, for Shake Shack. And we opened really big as, as we always do in new markets, but there was definitely a period where we settled in in sales and we were, we were profitable and we were, we were gainfully employing people, but, Truthfully, even through the pandemic, uh, we certainly took a dip when we couldn't have people in the restaurant and we couldn't, mm. we were just delivery and pickup only. But coming out of the pandemic, I think people can appreciate the fact that we have four delivery partners and we have app and web-based ordering and we, we have kept people employed and we've, we've raised our wage twice in the last uh, 10 months to stay competitive on, on some level, but also to make sure that people are earning a, a livable wage and, and being taken care of so that they can come out in the midst of this pandemic and, and work and, and make good money. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, also, I mean, all part of that too was, you know, if people aren't going out, obviously, and going to work downtown in the third ward, that location is so good when the third ward is bustling and when downtown is bustling and when yeah. Summerfest and the festivals are happening. Uh, I know a few nights after Summerfest, you know, you, you, you're you feeling a little peckish after, after the concerts and you, you go to spin by Shake Shack. But obviously with everything that wasn't happening in 2020, that really puts a hurt on a place that is an ideal location, except not when 
no one's around and there's nothing happening. Well, I, it's ideal in in many respects. It's 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 an end cap. It's a it's a corner. It's it's um, it's pretty centrally located. It's on Water Street. There's a lot of things that are great about it. The parking is a challenge that people <laughs> that people make work. Um, we are a brand that is hurt more by rain than snow because people will walk in the snow, but they will not walk in the rain. Interesting. Um, oh yeah, for sure. It's a really an interesting. I sounded so Wisconsin right there oh, oh yeah for sure i'm definitely local um, but but again we've found a way to make it a really unique experience to come to shake shack third ward i think that it is it's unlike any other shake shack i've been to as as they all are they're, they're really unique brands and and that's evident in every aspect of it. It's the the buildouts are all different, and um, yeah. you know Dan, one of Danny's master phrases is "Whoever wrote the rule that blank." And and he's they're dedicated to the idea. Whoever wrote the rule that every Shake Shack has to look alike, and they they're not. Um, you know, we just opened our tenth Shake Shack in Chicago, and it looks completely different from any other Shake Shack that I've ever seen. And it's it's a a beautiful store. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Brookfield looks like, and I'm excited to see. Um, how the growth continues. This episode of Food Crush is brought to you by On Milwaukee on Vacay, a brand new travel experience hosted by On Milwaukee in collaboration with our friends at Travel Leaders. Our inaugural trip will take place in March of 2022, and you're invited to join me and Food Crush co-host Matt Miller on an unforgettable food-filled vacation to Riviera Maya, Mexico. We'll be soaking up the sun, enjoying poolside cocktails, eating amazing food, and taking a very special excursion to the recently uncovered Mayan ruins at Ek Balam. Intrigued? Get more information at onmilwaukee.com slash onvacay. How does, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to circle back. Like how does Shake Shack fit into the local food scene? And honestly, I mean, you've been in it, you were yeah. in it and you've been in Milwaukee for, you know, I mean, the, I, I would, I would say I would stretch this out to like two decades, but we've really seen a ton of growth in the last oh, decade, you know, I mean, in the last two decades, but more so in the last decade, I mean, things sure. just, you know, to the, you hit like 2008, 2009 and things just blew up. Um, so, so kind of what's your, what's your perspective on that? Um, and you know, in, cause in part, I think that 10 years ago, Shake Shack would have never made it here. You know, I think, they may I think, not ever have chosen it. <laughs> yeah, you know, as a I, I, um, I think that's probably accurate. And I think, I think Milwaukee's always had really good food, but mm -hmm. I think, as you said, you know, the last ten years, the growth um, and the opportunity is really what I think has fueled that. And I think. You know, I, I, like I said, at one point I worked in Richmond, Virginia, and there's a Virginia law that says you cannot have a a location, a business that only serves alcohol. So even the nightclubs I ran, we had buffets every night and the cover charge was a buffet charge and nobody ate the food because they were there for a nightclub. <laughs> but we, we put the food out and we would donate stuff to, to, to soup kitchens and things like that. And, um, but there was this unbelievable 
restaurant bar culture in Richmond, Virginia, where you, you may not expect it because every place had to serve food. And instead of, you know, there being 50 little burger bar joints, there are all these really cool little pubs with little kitchens um, that, that serve really unique food. And I think Milwaukee's not obviously the exact same issue because we have plenty of establishments that only serve alcohol. But, <laughs> um, but what I've seen is the amazing things that people have managed to do with small spaces. You know, Casey Ratajic is a friend of mine that was bartending at the hi-hat when I was working the door. And um, I actually hired Casey to go uh, to, to be a manager at Bar Louie when we opened on Water Street. And he told me, like, I think it was about two weeks before the opening, he said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm, I've got a backer and we're going to do our own thing. And, and I wish him luck. And I don't really know what happened there because Camino didn't open for about a decade. But when, when it did, if you walked into Camino, you know, it was a little bar with a video game area and, and it was just kind of this, you know, grill behind the bar. I, I used to, I used to grill, I used to work the kitchen in the high, at the, at the, um, the harp uh, when I was like 19. I, I was a cook at the harp and, you know, we had that little galley kitchen and the, the kitchen at, at Camino was no bigger than that. But if you took the time to find Camino and you sat down at the bar and you looked at their beer list and you tried their food, you understood that they were doing something incredibly special. You walk three doors down and Morel on any given night can completely blow your mind. Um, and, and, you know, a couple blocks down from there was Movida. And then you could, you know, there's just such a, a unique feel to the Milwaukee food scene because what I get from it is, there's a place for everybody and 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 I have yet to see a concept be rejected for the sake of the concept as opposed to the quality of the product. You can't fake it in Milwaukee. That's the reality is that Milwaukee is discerning enough and uh you know as my long storied history with Yelp reviews reminds <laughs> you 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 can't you can't open a restaurant or 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 a bar in Milwaukee and not expect to get everyone's opinion. And um, I, I think that has elevated the overall food scene because the places that aren't worth our time just don't make it. Lori talks about that a lot, how, you know, M Milwaukee has this very high bullshit, you know, bullshitometer <laughs> and Absolutely. the trends that maybe become things uh, in New York and LA and San Francisco and on Instagram they have a harder time making it to Milwaukee because Milwaukee will be like, why would I spend money on that? I mean, I, sure. I, I reference this all the time, but when ramen first came to Milwaukee, <laughs> everyone, like all, no, we never got so many angry comments from people being like, oh, why would I spend $10 on a right. bowl of ramen? That's dollar soup, you know? Sure. Like, but, but, and then, they, <laughs> I, but then I think some of those same people went and tried it. And, and then they learned. realized and then like, they learned. that it was kind of their... Their ignorance about that particular yeah, thing, yeah, and obviously that blew um, that like blew up, and ramen is now yeah. a, a staple in Milwaukee. Yeah. But there is this sense of like, okay, you're doing but, this. What what but, but what about at, this? Do we need? But look at the ramen places that are are really doing something special, right? And and you know, I remember standing in line outside of Arden 
oh yeah red light ramen and a little heater uh, outside the front door for sure and 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 i had heard about it from a buddy of mine who's in the surf culture in milwaukee because yes there's a surf culture in milwaukee um and he you know he heard about it from one of his buddies and 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 so after uh, after we were we had a couple of drinks at blue one night for somebody's birthday and we said let's go do that ramen thing and it was like I fully expected that it was going to be a one-time stand outside in the cold. And it was. It was like my buddy's birthday is in February. We're standing (laughs) out there in February, and I can see the people at Ardent finishing up. Yeah. At the the time, I hadn't even been to Ardent yet. And and I remember thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure I could go get some Top Ramen for like, you know, (laughs) I'd get a case for like $12, and we could go back to my house and hang out and have a couple of cocktails. And and have ramen for a month. For sure. (laughs) And 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 then you go in there, and it's the old school hip hop, and it's the it's the brandy slush, mm-hmm. and the cans of cold beer, and and it was not only the quality of the food, but it was the people standing in the kitchen because they were willing to eat standing up because they they didn't want to wait for a table or they didn't want to risk them not you know, being out, and and that is. Again, my impression of the overall Milwaukee food scene is that so many places have tried to make it. And, and some of our, our more accomplished chefs and our more accomplished restaurateurs have tried to do things that ultimately just didn't work. Um, but more often than not, I find that it has everything to do with whether or not Milwaukee buys in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think to that point, you know, again, Lori, not to, not to circle back to Shake Shack, but I think that's why we're having the success that we're having now. And when you ask where Milwaukee, where, where Shake Shack fits in the Milwaukee scene, uh, I think that's exactly where we fit most often in places outside of cultural epicenters so shake shack works in new york because shake shack is definitively it's new their york. cops right yeah no right. doubt and right. it's even di- it's different than cops though matt because i think cops relies on the nostalgia factor it relies on the on the carl cop uh, uh legacy it relies on the fact that that's that is such a uh a, a, a touch point for so many of us that it, it's become generational and, and you can go into cops now and there's a whole group of people that didn't grow up with cops that find it every day and it and it makes them happy you know yeah. i grew up my grandparents my mother's parents were really good at finding places in milwaukee that they loved that had nothing to do with pretense they loved <laughs> zarters because of the egg drops, because of the dumpling <laughs> right. soup. And they loved real chili. And my grandmother, even when she couldn't walk very well, would make her way into a car and do the drive through cream puff pickup at the state fair because it was nostalgic for her. It was an essential part of a successful culinary year was that she was going to have a state fair cream puff. And, <laughs> and, and they, they just were those people. They, they went to Sally's. Like religiously, <laughs> it was just, it was their spot. They knew the women's names that worked behind there. They, and, and, and that's the other thing I think that Milwaukee does incredibly well is that it, 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 it recognizes the fact that it's a, a really big, small city. Yes. You know, people, and I, I don't, I'll tell you this, Greg Leone is an example from Amalinda has a wonderful restaurant. 
and it's really unique and the food is incredible and I've never eaten there. And I know that he has a great place and I, and I've been to the box and I, and my uncle used to have a bookstore in the iron block building on the same street. And Greg is a friend of mine. And I don't know that we've ever shaken hands, Hmm. but we've developed a relationship because I have a respect for his restaurant. I respect for his personality on, I respect for the fact that he is, is vehemently defensive of his culture and his, and his, in his life and, and, and the work that he does. And I love Greg for that. And I think that's Milwaukee. Greg is a perfect example of, of, a, you know, a very big, small city. Um, and I can walk into, I'll walk into Almelinda one day and I'm, I'm positive that if he's there, I'm going to shake his hand or I'm going to give him a hug and I'm going to say, I can't wait to eat your food. And, um, and when he came from San Francisco, I think that's what he fell in love with here. You know, not to mention the fact that you could you could present food in a more rustic fashion, and you did not need a pair of tweezers for every single <laughs> and, <laughs> and single also dish. rent an equipment. Nicely done to your slide, thousand dollars too. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that, yeah. that is the, one of the stranger trends that's developed. So, no question. Yeah. But so that so that's really where I feel like Shake Shack fits in is that it. I think Milwaukee puts it to the test, and they say make me believe that this is a great cheeseburger. And, mm-hmm. and Lori, you and I had that experience when you were sitting on the patio trying the, um, the milk bar shakes. Yeah. There, the, a gentleman walked out and I, I, because it's the nature of the beast, even though I was off that day, I, I stopped him on his way out and I just said, how was everything today? And he looked at me and he, he was said, a first timer. First timer. Yeah, and, and he said that. Context. And he said, first timer. And I guess I could have just said, oh, well, thanks so much for stopping in. But of course I said, <laughs> and how was it? And he looked at me and he said, to be honest with you, I thought it would be more earth shattering. And I, and I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you can tell it's quality and you can tell it's good, but it just didn't blow my mind. And I said to him, well, I'm sorry to hear that. What did you have? And he said, I had a plain double hamburger. And I thought to myself, okay, so what about a plain double hamburger anywhere blows your mind? Like I, I would love to find a plain double hamburger that blew my mind, but I said, did it taste like quality beef? He said, you can tell it's quality beef and the bun was great. It just wasn't transcendent. And I said, well, okay, I'd love for you to come back and try one of the signature burgers, try one of the, try a shack burger that has all the fixings on it. Uh, I think it's a little bit more representative of the brand, but I'm glad that overall you felt like you got value. And, And we had a really nice conversation. And as he was leaving, he said, oh, and everybody in there was really nice. And I thought to myself, okay, if that's what I can get out of a first time guest who orders a plain double hamburger is that he could tell that everything was high quality. He could tell that the staff wanted to be at work, that they were making money, that, 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 you know, is higher than minimum wage and that he was treated incredibly well. And ultimately the burger itself wasn't the, a transcendent experience. I can accept that. And I believe that guy's coming back. Well, and isn't that kind of the struggle I imagine with opening up a Shake Shack, this massive brand, you know, this, this exciting thing that has all these people flocking to the, on Milwaukee to read about it. And that, that all that lofts people's expectations to a level that 
isn't it kind of hard to be like, I don't know how we can match what you're expecting. It's we like, are yeah. a burger and custard yeah. place. Yeah. Like, it's, it's what, like what, 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 what can or, we do? What can we the, possibly do to like meet the expectations that people in Milwaukee had? I, I feel the same way for like places like Portillo's that come to Milwaukee. These people have heard about Portillo's or true. heard about these iconic brands for so long. And then they come to Milwaukee and they're like, oh, it's just food. And it's like, yeah, like, because when you put it up on this massive pedestal, how can you can make a burger taste as good as you can? But sure. if people have in this mind that it's going to break their mind and shatter their earth, it's it's like how do you match people's expectations? On some well, level, it, it's almost an unwinnable fight. It, yeah, it's like albums and movies. Yeah, and and all of that. You know, at some juncture, when things get hyped so much, they can't possibly. Be as good. <coughs> Ted Lasso. Oh, we can do a whole other hour on Ted Lasso yeah. if you want. I, 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 I love that yeah. show, but I, I think I think I think that you're right, Matt. I think there's there's probably the first time I ate a Shake Shack burger, I was in the airport in LaGuardia, and I had come back from Israel, so I hadn't had a cheeseburger in almost two weeks anyway so i was just excited to eat a cheeseburger as it is <laughs> um but i knew the brand and again i was kind of a danny meyer fanatic and i had never had the opportunity i hadn't been to new york in in years and i ran to a second concourse and my wife looked at me like i was crazy <laughs> she was like she, first of all it was like 10 o'clock in the morning and she was like, she said, what are you doing? I said, there's a Shake Shack in here. And I, <laughs> I, I've never had a Shake Shack burger. I, and so I went and I got a, shack, a double Shack burger and fries. And I remember sitting there eating it. And I, and I agree with you. I had thought, I, I, I thought it's going to be this ridiculously amazing cheeseburger. And I ate it and it was really good. And I was hungry and, and, I could tell the quality, but I came back to the terminal and she said, so, and I said, it's a cheeseburger. It's a really, really good cheeseburger, <laughs> but it's ultimately, it's a cheeseburger, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and I, I, I think now working for the brand and, and seeing the process and seeing what care is painstakingly put into coming up with things like our limited time offers and, and, and things like partnerships with, with people like the slutty vegan and people like um, Christina Tosi and milk bar and, and taking shots at things like the next burger we have coming out um, is, is, uh, is it going to be a black truffle burger, which is going to be really Ooh. exciting. And, and, you know, I'm sure there are going to be foodies that are going to come in there and say, there's no slices of truffle on this. Burger, you know? <laughs> it's, truff it's truffle oil and flecks of truffle. And it's, and it's going to be in one of the sauces. But ultimately, if you know, the Michael Jordan's, uh, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take. <laughs> they, 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 there is a test kitchen in New York that is in the basement of the building where our home office is and on the street level, there's a Shake Shack. So they come up with ideas on the third floor. They take them down to the basement. They experiment, they, they play, they taste. And then eventually they take them upstairs and they, and they 
offer them up and get feedback. They and see if people, yeah. They see if people like it. And that's right. how you end up with the black sesame shake that was that it came from our our affiliates in Asia that 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 are doing flavors that we don't mess around with in 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 Milwaukee, Wisconsin, usually. But but that shake was awesome. Yeah. And mm-hmm. getting people to taste it was the hardest part. And as soon as they tasted it, they loved it. I get so jealous of foreign fast food brands and stuff like that because they get all the fascinating burgers and like the the really interesting flavors and really interesting menu items. And I'm just like, why can't we get some of those in America? Just just our partners, America. Because America will not eat them. Yeah, because America will wretch and be confused. Yes. If you follow some of the the um, Instagram uh, pages for some of our international partners, you know, some of the people that have opened Shake Shack in other countries, the food that they make and the the specials that they run, uh, they are. It's so. It's such a great combination of being adherent to the brand standards while and being derivative of all the things that we are we always champion you know being fresh being being uh, i almost said healthy being (laughs) being um you know not cutting corners and doing things with the best possible ingredients and then being distinctly again of the place they're from which which seems like an easy thing to say but if you walk into shake shack in milwaukee you can get a brat burger with a usinger's a jalapeno cheddar brat on top of the burger. It's the only place in the company that you can get the burger. But when you look at look at it from the quality perspective, Shake Shack up until the pandemic had a chicken apple sage sausage in every single restaurant in the country made by Usinger's. Usinger's. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a restaurant here until 2018, 17, mm. December of 17. Yeah. But they recognize how good using your sausages were, so they were everywhere. And I remember that, you know, every step of the way, I mean, we talked about, you know, writing about Shake Shack coming and the stories, and I talked to so many people along the way, and literally, I mean, I was kind of like, okay, big national New York-based, you know, I don't know, what am I going to think of this? I hadn't been to Shake Shack. I hadn't really gone out of my way to go to a Shake Shack because I sort of feel like it, it was sort of the hype factor, you know, like you go to In-N-Out the first time or Jack in the Box or whatever, whatever Ooh, has been hype. I, I knew you were going to say it eventually. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it eventually. Like, yeah, you're like I mean, what is this? Don't care. <laughs> like, you know? Well, um, uh, but before I started working for Shake Shack though, I had had, and I'm not, I don't badmouth anybody else's mm-hmm. brand. Everybody does yeah. good work. But in the same trip to Vegas, I had an In-N-Out burger and I had a fat burger and fat burger I thought was far superior. I, I just I, a I spicy like a take. Yeah. I, know, I know. Yeah. And no, and it's you know, and it's just. I think it's just a matter of the hype. You know, I don't necessarily. There's food, some food in the world that is bad. You know, I mean, or that is not that great. Um, sure. But but all I've in all, if you have a brand, you know, <laughs> with multiple locations, you're doing something right. You know, people right. are eating the food. You know, I mean, McDonald's is a good example. Is everything on that menu great? No. <laughs> is, no. Are they doing everything right? Uh, absolutely no. You know, but. There's still and a if, place, you know. For and if, if you want to talk yourself out of it, you want to talk yourself yeah. out of McDonald's, just do a little bit of Googling of Jamie Oliver and you'll never want to eat there again. But it's, <laughs> it's true. But, but it's truthfully, true. It, it's really, isn't it a funny thing that when you talk to people, they'll say, oh, McDonald's? Uh, no, I don't, I don't eat McDonald's. Right. And, and everybody feels like, 
like they can't admit the fact that we all right. eat McDonald's. We all, right. I mean, my dad didn't eat McDonald's for multiple decades. He would say he has this running list of things that he's never done or hasn't done in a long time. And he would say, I haven't eaten McDonald's since the trip where we drove you out to college in 2000 and, and <laughs> or in 1996. Yeah. And he wore it like a badge of honor that he hadn't been to McDonald's. And I will tell you that in every conversation I've had with my dad in the last three months, he has said, I had another one of those chicken sandwiches from McDonald's the other day. I, I really like and I don't know why he's, and I finally looked at him and I said, you know, dad, we make a hell of a chicken sandwich at Shake Shack. And, 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 and he said, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down and get that. But, but the reality is the only reason that my father would ever eat at McDonald's for their chicken sandwich, instead of coming to see me at Shake Shack or even go to Shake Shack when I wasn't there to get a chicken sandwich, is the same reason that everybody eats McDonald's and they're their biggest restaurant company in the world, which is convenience. It's close to you. You, you, yeah. you roll through the McDonald's drive-thru, you're through the line in 42 seconds or less, and and you eat food that is good enough for you to, to yes. not tell yourself, I'm never going to do and, this again. The, this the classic is, Applebee's yes. approach. Yeah. <laughs> this is, and this is how McDonald's put, you know, big boy out of business, you know, and I mean, that, that whole story is really, you know, it rings true. I mean, they stole, they stole the big boy burger and made mm -hmm. big, Mac, big Mac, you know, yeah. and then they said, we're going to do this faster, you know, faster and more conveniently with more locations than big boy can ever create. And it didn't matter if the big Mac was better than the big boy burger. You know, I, assume, they, I assume you've seen the movie. You know. Yeah, the founder. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, the founder? unofficial <laughs> movie of this podcast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it just doesn't, you know, movies are my other, you know, passion. Oh. I am, uh, oh, having, been an act, having been an acting major and, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm a total cinephile and, and yeah. I see as much as I can in the theaters and I, I, I have been threatening to have a, a, movie podcasts for years and and uh then realized that everyone else on planet earth has a movie podcast so <laughs> was, I, i'm still trying to figure out what my hot take is going to be to make it an even relatively unique but it's uh that movie for me was was really eye-opening i didn't know the the story as well as i probably should as being in in the business and uh it really i think illustrates everything that can go completely off the rails you know mm -hmm. the 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 performance obviously michael keaton's awesome but it's it's just a i think it's an example of of how something gets too big to 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 maintain standards and i think that's i can't again i'll just keep bringing it back around that is one of the things that our team is so incredibly focused on um you know we have this incredible supply chain um team and 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 an amazing support system across the board and and when i had karma as much as i loved being independent and and i ran specials that i wanted to run and i hired who i wanted to hire and and we showed ufc fights one night and we had live comedy shows in the basement the next night i loved all of that at some point having worked for bar louis for five years and having been in the nightclub restaurant business for for as long as i had i started to miss that that sense of of a bigger culture and a bigger group support system and shake shack does it in a way that i'm i'm not used to because at every turn it's legitimate support 
I, I have yet to, and I've made mistakes as the GM at Shake Shack. I've, I've, I've had, I've had bad days and I've, I've, I've had rough interactions with, with guests and, um, I'll write an email to our home office or to my, my area director and say, Hey, look, I, I had a rough conversation with a guest. Uh, they were upset or they, they started, you know, freaking out at me and yelling at me and calling me this, that, and the other. And, and I really did the best I could, but ultimately I, I had to make a phone call and, and get the authorities involved to have them removed. It's happened once or twice ever in the restaurant. The first thing that I get back every single time is I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I'm so sorry that you that you had not come on, Ari, the customer's always right and you gotta you gotta make it work. And you know, this is a company that champions a a theory on hospitality that one of the one of the the tenants is find the yes, find the way to make it work. And but ultimately if if you are being mistreated or the staff is being mistreated or they they want nothing more than for you to feel comfortable, to feel safe. Um when they put the curfew in effect uh, during the pandemic and during the the protests, um, I called my my home office, my my area director, and I said, "So there's a curfew in effect for nine o'clock, and we're open until ten o'clock on on the weeknights and and eleven o'clock on the weekends." He said, "Okay, how long does it usually take you to close?" I said, "About an hour." And he said, "How long is the longest commute for your team?" And I said. Probably about 45 minutes. He said, okay, you're going to close at 7 o'clock. We're going to shut down delivery partners at 6.30. And you're going to have your team home before, not on the bus, not on the bus stop. They're going to be home before the curfew. You're talking about three and a half hours of sales. Yeah. Yeah. How much money, uh, you know, oh, is that? You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's but not. The priority was nobody who works for us should, you know, we all had letters uh, you know, that stated that we were essential, you know, food workers and that, and all, of, but they said, get them home, keep them safe. But nobody, had, sure to they get, want to come nobody back. had to get harangued because nope. they were, they were out past curfew. Yeah, yeah. Really. And, and we are into this day, we're still closing at nine o'clock uh, on the weeknights and 10 o'clock on the weekends. And I don't think we'll ever go back to 10 and 11. I think we've settled in, the sales are there. The team works really hard. Um, you know, we've promoted from within, we've got an incredible group of people that work for us. We are, we're up to a $14 an hour wage in Milwaukee, which is, I think, amazing. And our trainers and cross trainers are making 15 and $16 an hour, um, which allows them to come to work every day and, and know that it's worth the effort. And, and they, they work really hard for us. We're, we're really lucky. Yeah. Well, we should probably before we go for another hour talking movies, you and me. Yes. Uh, that'll <laughs> have to be another podcast anytime. Uh, but uh, let people. Where can people find more about Shake Shack? Where can people find your Shake Shacks? Um, so in Madison, we're in the Hilldale Shopping Center. Um, pretty easy to find. We're right across the street from the Apple Store and the AMC. Uh, but the address is 558 North Midvale Boulevard in, in Hilldale. And downtown Milwaukee, we are on the corner of Buffalo and Water Street at 220 East Buffalo. And uh, ShakeShack.com for online orders, for information about the company, for job opportunities. 
um, and ordering at both locations through our app and, and web is definitely the number one option. It's going to be the most seamless, but also delivery partners uh, with uh, everybody that's doing it pretty much. Grubhub, DoorDash, yeah. Postmates, and Uber Eats. So yeah. we'll get it to you one way or the other. We want yeah. we want you to have it. You're not hiding. You're not hard to find. <laughs> we are not <laughs> Okay. One, one last question. You know, for years, you know, there's there's always legends. Every fast food chain, like, what are the secret menu items, right? Ooh. Are there any <laughs> that you are like, yeah, you got to order that? Like, um, you know, Shake Shack has like every like yeah. all your animal style and and various secret items. We do a grilled cheese that's not on the menu, but it is the one of the simplest things. Um, we used to have a peanut butter shake and we don't anymore, but when, mm. but you used to be able to order a peanut butter burger. Um, I, yeah, I suppose the, the pandemic has changed some things. Yeah. Well, 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 yeah, that was a, that was a big factor. I, I think more than a secret menu item, when you go to a Shake Shack, uh, if you've had a Shack burger before, ask about a, a, a specialty menu item and then, um, any local ingredients that are being used, although we moved away from concretes for the time being, um, but we we had a great concrete program where we used local bakeries. We we used Rocket Baby Bakery here yeah. in Milwaukee yeah. and uh, we, Honey so, Pie initially, I and think. Honey Pie, yeah, yeah, absolutely, they were great. And so I, I would uh, I, I would always go to the register and and ask the team member working what their favorite thing is on the menu. Cause most often you're going to find some tweak of, and that's the great thing is that we're not a, it's not tough to modify. It's not tough to make anything uh, how you want it. So we get a lot of, can I have chocolate and strawberry shake? Can I have a, um, can I mix this in with, with my shake? And, and the answer is always going to be, yes, we're going to, we're going to figure out how to make it happen for you for sure. So unfortunately, you know, the, the BLT is not on the menu. That's great. You know, anything on those Martin potato rolls are, is kind of amazing. So uh, there's a handful of little things that, that you can, that you can order up. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Well, thank you. Well, thank, thank you for you doing so what much. you do. That was uh, awesome. I appreciate and sharing it. it all. Yeah. yeah. And we'll anytime. talk movies again next time we have you there on. You we'll I'm go long on the Oscars. <laughs> I, I can do that. Good. Thank Sounds you good. so much for the, for the opportunity. Likewise. Thank you. Call it a podcast. What a cool conversation. And one I hope to start up again because I do want to legitimately talk more movies with him. I think we should have him, have him on to talk about uh, food porn movies, like the movies with some of the oh, we best. Should, we should totally do that. Yeah, yeah. I know talking about visually delicious food is a bit, you know, <laughs> square peg, round hole-ish, but I would love to just talk about... It'd be cool to have, like, talk about, like, our favorite food oh. movies and stuff like that. I'm just we should of, actually do, We should actually do that, because there are so many. Yeah. You know, and movies Big that night. weren't built to do that, but that absolutely... It's always weird. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is not a person that anyone would call, like, a foodie director, but <laughs> right. his movies routinely have iconic food in them. They I do. mean, I from don't the, like... the burger. Yeah, the, the Big Kahuna the bur- burger. Or no, and the... The, the, it's not the burger royale what is it in, a royale with cheese royale with cheese yes and then there's the strudel from inglorious bastards i don't know if you oh, right yeah, yeah which is like the best looking strudel anyone's ever put on screen yeah no, <laughs> weird no, he's, he's so weird stuff. what we a could. weird director he is uh but yeah we'll quirky. have to 
Yeah. I'm cooking these days, Lori. I was telling you this off mic, and then I realized I wanted to tell you this mm-hmm. on mic. So uh, uh, an exciting development on this podcast mm-hmm. is that Matt has actually started cooking things beyond SpaghettiOs <laughs> and uh, noodles with Kraft Parmesan cheese sprinkled on them. Yeah. Now I'm spr- yeah. making noodles and sprinkling real Parmesan cheese on them and making cacio e pepe. Um but I, you'll be very proud of me. I bought the ingredients to freestyle a dish. Yeah. No recipe. So what are, what are you going to make? So it, it's, it, it is inspired by a dish. Uh, I've been watching Jay Kenji Lopez Alt. He's been doing these first person. I love, I love Kenji. He's, he's inspired this cooking run in me because he had, for his YouTube channel mm-hmm. uh, at about uh, at the start of the pandemic, he started doing these first person cooking videos where it's just him in his mm-hmm. kitchen cooking yes. really easy dishes. Yep. With like a GoPro strapped to his head. Um, so that's where I've been learning all these really easy basic pastas that are really delicious. He has a great garlic pasta recipe. Is it's that like the Isla Olio? No, it's like garlic and soy sauce. Oh, it's garlic a, noodles. It's I made those, San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not I make San those. Francisco treat. No, the, the, the real, yeah, the real yeah. San Francisco country. Um, I, I tried to show that video to my mom and I was like, he's going to make that joke five more times in this video. Yeah. But I just made those last week. Boy, it, everyone should look that dish up because it's yeah. stupid easy to make. Stupid just delicious. Made, and if oh you, yeah, I mean, I've made it at weird moments where like, I don't know, we were just working all day and all of a sudden it's eight o'clock at night. And you're like, yeah. what the heck? Because it's I really, to you just got to like throw like, like mince up some garlic. Yeah. And then throw in some soy sauce, some oyster sauce, some fish sauce, mm-hmm. uh, and the garlic in with some noodles. And it's yeah. in, insanely decadent, like insanely Just rich flavor. Umami, crazy, oh. yum. I think we yeah. were planning yeah. next time I make that, I'm going to throw some some thinly shaved carrots in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like just oh, at the I've very end. I've made it end. a bunch of ways and I've made it with like, because you can buy like ramen noodles that are separate. Ooh, I love yeah. ramen noodles because they're so, like, even the dried ones are like springier. They just are. Yeah. They're just a different sort of nude. And they're a different I'll, nude. So I'll buy them separately. You can get them at Asian grocery stores, like without the seasoning packets and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, I did those noodles once with. Ugh. That dish is real good. Yeah, you should all check out his videos. He's really informative, and it's nice to watch all of the steps being done because it does kind of give you an idea of like it it, it helps fill in the blanks that recipes can sometimes and he's shortcuts things, and sometimes I disagree with him. It's kind of funny. Yeah, Um, he's he's very loose with his recipes, which is very helpful. But so he made a chorizo broccolini side dish in one of his videos and I was like that sounds delicious but I don't think that's enough for a meal so I was at the grocery store and I saw some orchetti pasta and I was like hold on a second I feel like garlic chorizo oil broccolini like if I just make basically his broccolini dish and then at Mm -hmm. the end toss in the 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 pasta Mm Like toss yeah. the pasta in there, and then I think that sounds like an incredible dish. So I'm, I'm gonna try yes. it and see if it works out. Mm, all right, we will we will report back with. I will report or, back not on the next podcast because we're recording that podcast yes. right after this. Right. But. Or a chacha <laughs> with with broccolini and. and it sounds like Tanudas has a really good dish that's similar to that, where it's like it's like Italian sausage kale, red pepper flake, or keti pasta. And I think I'm basically stealing that dish. I think that you said, so So noodles are great because you really can just like think of things 
and throw them together as noodle dishes. Mm -hmm. um, some of them will be better than others, and it kind of depends. The other thing that is very much like that, though, and I'm sure there would be Italians like that would that would scoff um, at this, but I found like if you learn how to make a really good basic risotto, risotto mm. is the same. Like I have made like corned beef, like a Reuben risotto. Oh wow! With that corned beef and sauerkraut and Swiss cheese, that oh, is like like totally tasty. an abomination and not Italian at all. <laughs> but but you put things together like it's it's basically just like this this base of creamy rice, which has a lot of the same satisfaction as pasta. Yeah, but you can. My you only thing with risotto is that risotto is so much more unforgiving than pasta. Like. Mm. Pasta, like I undercooked my garlic, my my garlic noodles dish a little bit mm -hmm. on the noodle front, but it still tasted great, and yeah. like the noodles still tasted fine. They were just a little bit more al dente than preferred. But I just feel like risotto can be so fickle. Um, yeah, once you do it a few times, though, it's get, it gets pretty foolproof. All right. I mean, I I've to... even even and even overcooked risotto. You know. I've made it, and it there are way worse things in the universe. <laughs> so I'd like to try making spetzel. J. Kenji Lopez Alt has Ooh. a really easy mm -hmm. spetzel recipe. Mm -hmm. And then he just like throws like uh like onions, bacon, and cheese into it. And I'm just like, yeah, that sounds like a thing I'd eat. That yes. sounds like yeah. a thing I'd eat a lot. Spetzel with butter and dill. It's like Ooh. my favorite thing in the world. Maybe a little bit of lemon zest. And now we're getting into <sighs> food porn ter territory, yeah, which is are. convenient because it is it food is. porn time. So and I picked a cheeseburger, food porn poem. I can't imagine why. Right. Yeah, because, you know, Shake Shack. Um, and it's called Pear and Cheeseburger. Pear oh. as in the fruit and cheeseburger. Um, That's an it's unexpected written, pairing. It's written by um, a poet, Quinn White, and it was published in a Bad Penny Review, which is like oh. a literature, an online literature magazine, if I'm not mistaken. Is it a sassy online? <laughs> so, Seems not like so much. It might I think be it's, sassy. it's kind of maybe more... Um, I mean, it's got some good stuff on it. So if you're if you're into that sort of thing, go read some things from a bad penny review. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. This is just kind of cute, and it and it fits in the food porn category. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited so, about this. I'd eat it. Yeah. <clears throat> so so here goes pear and cheeseburger. I'm a poem of refrigerated pear slices. And you're a cheeseburger wrapped in foil. The Bartlett slivers frost as they've been taught, and the cheese that was your name hardens. We should get married. The pear is rarely an enemy, but I know snobs who camembert and prosciutto around town, eaten by plaid-shirted, rolled-sleeved men in parking lots. While you, my cheeseburger, wake with the alarm, and at some point are told how deadly, how hurtful you are, how you are poor, I will open the dusking door for you, and we will make disgusting sandwiches all night long. There's a lot to unpack there. I'm really intrigued by the use of camembert and prosciutto as verbs. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. I, I just sort of loved it. Um, and I don't, I don't know what I think about making disgusting sandwiches. All yeah, long, that sounds that sounds sexual even even. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I just there was something I loved about this. I went through I don't know. I found like three different burger poems, and this one just 
just was the one. Seems like so. a winner. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Hey, Laura, where can people find out more about you? Hmm. More about me? Well, yeah. you can follow me on social. I don't know how much you'll learn. You might <laughs> learn a little bit about food, though. Um, I am Lil Frederick on Twitter, Facebook, and oh, and Instagram. That place where, where Matt might show up nope. eventually. Nope. Okay, nope. so, so where can people find you? You can find me technically on Instagram. There won't be a lot new there. There's an found. account there. There's <laughs> Inarguably, there's an account. Yeah. Uh, yes, and you, but more often or not, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at A Man About Film. But most importantly, Lori, where can people find this podcast? People can find this podcast. Well, you found us, but you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Food Crush Pod. That's awesome. Well, this has been an awesome episode, Lori. I can't wait to report Good. back on if my if my pasta dish turned out okay. And uh, I'm excited yeah. to hear about your pasta dish. I know. And, and, and I can't envision that it won't turn out okay. So yeah, I'm not exciting. making it tonight. I'm making cacio e pepe tonight because I need something yeah. even easier than yes. the yes. dish I described. When you one one big tip when you freestyle pasta. Set aside some of the pasta water, no matter what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Because no, you may find that you need it. I've learned that immensely. Uh, with the, That's a big Kenji, J. Kenji Lopez alt thing is using that's the pasta good. water. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, that's just a big, big old bad Italian thing in general. It's just a good idea because there's nothing like that water. No. It's the finest of all the aguas. And this well, is the finest of all the podcasts. There's nothing like starchy water to make a sauce. Anyway. Yes. And so. you are all the finest of podcast listeners. So thank yeah. you so much for listening. And as always, everyone, keep, keep cooking. Keep cooking. <laughs>